and welcome to Ask the Howlers, a new podcast from VMware, where we interview a variety of cybersecurity experts about the threat landscape, the culture of InfoSec, and our changing workforce. I'm your host, Karen Morstell. In each episode, we'll dive deep into the topics that are top of mind for security leaders and speak with people who are helping to move the industry forward. Let's get to today's conversation. Hey, everyone, welcome to Ask the Howlers. It's a cybersecurity expert roundtable of trusted advisors and security strategists. We discuss the latest threats and security challenges and share actionable tips and resources. Most importantly, we answer your questions. So please be sure to interact with us during today's live stream and add your comments in the comment section if you're watching this later on the podcast. My name is Karen Worstell. I am the Senior Cybersecurity Strategist at VMware, and I'm your new host for Ask the Howlers. Today, we're discussing how to create a culture of security at your organization. So we have a saying here, security is not something that you have, it's something you do. I am so excited to introduce my guest today. Alex Toshef is the Chief Security Officer at VMware, leading all aspects of VMware's cybersecurity, physical security, and enterprise resilience across the global enterprise. As an industry veteran with more than 25 years of business and technical leadership, Alex is an ardent proponent of cybersecurity as a driver of business value. I love that. He is a recognized expert on the nexus between security and technology innovation, and he has led transformational initiatives at VMware to establish zero trust principles, accelerate time to value on security investments, and enable a secure global work from anywhere workforce. Alex, welcome to Ask the Howlers. Thank you. I'm super glad to be here, Karen. Appreciate it. Yeah. Looking forward to our conversation. Me too. I've really been looking forward to this for such a long time. Let's start with a little bit more background on you. You've you've had a storied career um, that has equipped you with a broad perspective on business strategy and information security over the last 20 years and in 20 plus years. In case there are listeners out there who don't know you well, could you please describe a little more fully what you do at VMware and some of the key experiences and relationships you've built over the years that prepared you for the role of chief security officer at VMware. Sure, I'm happy to do that. So um, again, I think as you mentioned, you know, I, I lead uh, enterprise uh, security and resiliency uh, for VMware. Uh, that includes all the, the, the portfolio of things one would expect in the CISO suite uh, from governance, risk, compliance, to security architecture, engineering, um, vulnerability management, threat management. And additionally, I picked up physical security about uh, about four years ago, recognizing that the physical and the cyber worlds were really on a path of convergence. And uh, I think that'll continue to accelerate. So it's something that felt like a very natural fit. And then also, I am the chair of our global, uh, the, the chair of our global crisis management function for the company, which I like to say uh, was once my night job, and then COVID hit, and that became my day job <laughs> on top of my day job, which just uh, was continuing to stay interesting. So uh, one thing I will say is that um, at VMware, I'm also very fortunate to have a team um, you know, that also integrates well with our product teams in the sense that we work with the product managers to ensure that what's coming from VMware to customers, especially around security, 
um, is really uh, is really top notch. And that's something we do. We call ourselves customer zero. We're frequently showing up at product management meetings and giving our feedback as that first consumer in many cases of our own technology, um, which I think is an important feedback loop to have uh, with the product teams. You asked about my experiences and, and some of the, the, you know, sort of the things that have relationships in my career. You know, I'll start by just saying that uh, I have, there's one incident, um, you know, early in my career, I, I worked as a defense contractor. Mm -hmm. um, and so I worked uh, within in the intelligence community, you know, in the, in, in the, in the rooms with, in the buildings with no windows, <laughs> lots of air conditioning. And I made that connection early in, in my career. Um, and this is, you know, 25 years ago or so, a long time. Um, that computer systems, you know, can be the critical factor to important missions. And a mission can succeed or a mission can fail with high costs if those things, if, if the system itself isn't operating properly. And the things we learned, you know, I, I started my career learning from the, for those of you who know, the DOD Orange Book, uh, the trusted security, you know, the, the evaluation platform came out of DOD. And, you know, in that, um, you know, you recognize that the same principles we have today were alive back then in confidentiality, availability, integrity. Nothing's really changed there. We just have a lot more scale and scope. Um, so recognizing the fact that, you know, computer systems are really vital to important missions. And then secondly, in a previous company, you know, I experienced you know, the beginnings, what I kind of feel what cyber war might ultimately start looking like. We're, we're way more experienced. Now, this is back in 2008 in a previous company. Some of you may recall this thing called Operation Payback. It was around WikiLeaks. And there's a lot of a lot of network traffic, DDoS attacks, other types of attacks happening. And that was another time when I really started forming this idea that we have a foundation built on software and networks and, and, and technology infrastructure. And we need folks like all of us and you out there to, to help protect that. So that really kind of got me lined up on a mission focus. And then I think you asked about some like, you know, some of the things I've had in my career around relationships, if I recall, um, did I get that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so along the way, I mean, you know, so many of us are focused on on career path and building career path and uh, and where you are today. I mean, you you had a set of series a series of opportunities and roles that you played over the years, and I'd just love to hear a little bit more for the audience about sure. what what steps you is like. Did that unfold organically, or did you make some very specific moves? How did that all? Come I, I I I wish I were that, that clever and had the foresight <laughs> to make a lot of. Uh, a lot of my career, candidly, is unplanned, in this, but only in the sense that, um, like, kind of how the things happen. Like, the what, I've always been aligned to missions that are, I feel are important. And, like, what's more important than working on things like critical national infrastructure, you know, or doing something that's impactful on a global scale? I've had a lot of great leaders and mentors in my career. I've also had a few challenging relationships in my career, like, like many of us can. And both of those are opportunities to learn um, and, and learn to make decisions about the kind of leader you want to be. So I, I would just say that no one can do this alone. Like, this is certainly, you know, a takes a village sort of uh, practice. And, and I would, you know, I always encourage people to, to find those mentors um, and, and ensure that you're listening. Because at the end of the day, it's easy to hear kind of what you want to hear. It's easy to hear things that are great. But your trusted advisors, your close, even your close friends, your family will tell you things that you need to hear um, which will help you become a better leader and, and, yeah. and to succeed in your mission. Yeah, that's so true. I would love to just um, take a, a comment off of something you said there, because so many of the people in our industry right now are dealing with tremendous pressure and may not be in the best 
situation, what they had envisioned as their situation for their role. And maybe there is some conflict within the workplace. And I, I love what you said there. And I wanted to highlight it a little bit is that we can always learn from those circumstances as well. Right. It's not all about, oh, I have to get out of here. This isn't going to do me any good. Even if the circumstances are a little bit tough, we can still gather something from that and and observe and learn and grow in in those circumstances as well. So I like that reframe. <laughs> You know. Well, you know, I'll, I'll quote my um, I'll quote my uh, a previous CEO of mine. Um, it's like, uh, hey, uh, try to only make new mistakes. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Words to live. Words to live by. Yeah, yeah. That's my uh, Z- Zootopia theme song. Yeah, just make oh. a new mistake. Yep. <laughs> I agree. So um, VMware's products and services power about eighty percent of the world's cloud. So that's a lot of responsibility and influence. Mm -hmm. Um, How does that level of influence and visibility affect your team? Yeah, it's, um, well, look, um, first and foremost, um, it it puts our mission in in, in a very sharp focus, Um, you know, and uh, I I know I'm personally driven by being aligned to a good mission, to a good purpose. Um, I feel having, having that in your life, you know, really, uh, enables you to be as, to be engaged in ways that that really you know help you become you know the most impactful person and professional that you can be. I feel that's part of our organizational culture here. I've never, not once, shared that with the team in the eight you know eight years I've been here at VMware. Our mission is important, um, and when you have a great mission and you have a, a really strong culture, which we have here at VMware, that really helps you know it helps you manage you know the like you work on problems that are important, they're hard and they keep you up at night and they could take, you know, a lot of your energy. But at the same time, those are good problems to work on. You know, if you're mm-hmm. fighting the company culture, you're fighting things, you know, I, that feels to me like counterproductive to the overall mission and alignment to ultimately to what the company's strategy will be here. And I, I do believe VMware has a fantastic strategy. So I think the mission actually helps here. It helps people understand that what they're doing is valued. Um, those long hours that people put in. Um, at the same time, as a leader, you are responsible and you are in many ways a custodian of, of the well-being of your teams. Um, and so you have to, you have to listen. <laughs> um, you know, and I, it takes a lot of time to listen to, all, to, to people at all levels in your organization, but it's so worth it because actually listening more than talking, you know, <laughs> really helps you understand uh, how people on your team, you know, feel about their roles, feel about the, you know, how they're connected to the mission. So, more listening than talking is always good, I think, as a leader in the organization. Um, that's so critical. I think that's the thing that makes cybersecurity super interesting for all of us who are in the profession is like we really are in a mission oriented role wherever we might be. Um, sometimes it's a little harder to remember. Like, what do they say that um, when you're up to your neck and alligators, it's hard to remember your primary mission was to drain the swamp, yeah. right? But still um, keeping that front and center in front of people, that kind of culture and a culture of security. Uh, another, what is it? Peter Drucker, as culture each strategy for breakfast. You have to have that culture that's focused on that mission and understands that mission. So that's, yeah, and th- that's, that's a great, uh, that's a great quote. And, you know, I'll just add that, you know, many of us in our roles uh, may not have that culture at the beginning, right. Right. Uh, but I, I am, you know, and, and it, it may be in, it may exist in various forms, you know, uh, with various, you know, in various places in the company, part of your role as a security leader, I think 
is to, is to start coalescing that, you know, bringing that together. Absolutely, you have to have the buy-in at the top. Um, you, it's very difficult, you know, if you, if you don't have the support from your C-suite, you don't have the support from your boards, uh, especially those in public companies, which, which you likely will, um, you know, you're, you're, it's, it's a very Scythian task, right? And it, and it can feel disheartening. And I know, I know many security professionals, I was just talking to one today, who just feel they felt disheartened about that. But I will say this, like, sometimes you need to pick your battles, especially around culture. And sometimes it's, it's you got to play the long game in culture sometimes in order to really create an impact and to cause the change that you're envisioning. Um, and that's just, that's just, you know, time and pressure. Um, it's just, you, you're staying with it. I think a lot of us in security, you know, we're motivated by challenges. We're motivated. I mean, like yeah. you know, we're motivated by hard things. This is one of those things that's really worth putting the time into um, and, and to, to really help, you know, to get the company aligned to things you need to do and your people. Yeah, absolutely. I um, just, um, I recall at, as a security leader in a prior company where we were cha challenged with that that culture, it was sort of like always in a high tell mode of telling people this is what we needed to do and talking a lot about security. And uh, it's a long story for another time. But when we flipped the switch on culture, when we did a project that actually engaged everybody in being a part of our extended team. And when we had, I think the first wave of that was all the Unix administrators. And when they all realized that they were they were not the ones who were being told what to do with security. They were actually doing it for us, um, for the whole company. They were enrolled in the mission and man, it made the biggest difference. In yeah, finding, finding and aligning your culture carriers is critical. And that's like a, that's a tactic that you, that you, know, you can deploy, you know, in this mission of culture change. I, I like to use real world examples of things um, just to sort of get people like lined up to some you know, concepts and, <laughs> I think another area there is just like sweep, sweep those key stakeholders in, you know, again, um, you know, trust is built on a couple of, like a number of factors, you know, credibility, reliability, and transparency. Those are on the numerator on the denominator is sort of what you want out of the situation. Like, what do you get? So the, so if you come at these discussions, you come at things with only what you want, people inherently trust you less in my experience. So, but providing transparency, providing them a seat and a voice in decision-making like, Hey, we're, we need, to, like, we need to revise our policies. This is a policy that affects you and your team. You need to be here and helping us understand how this policy can come to life in a way that you're going to support. That takes time and energy, but it's so worth doing. Um, so I agree wholeheartedly with what you said there. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, I love, I just want to reiterate, I love your thing about taking the long view because we can feel that sense of urgency and want to make the change happen right now. And it just doesn't, time, building trust takes time. Yeah. Um, so along those lines, do you have like if we were going to distill something as advice for security leaders who are dealing right now with unbelievable rate of change um, and it's affecting our industry in every conceivable way? What advice would you have for the people that are attending to their own people. You you mentioned being custodians yeah. of the well-being of your people. How what what advice would you give them? Um, completely self-servingly, <laughs> set the example that it's okay to take a break. <laughs> no, but I'm serious. Um, like you you need to walk the talk and help your teams understand that there are there are times to push hard, but you really have to help uh, and and create a you know create a culture where you can take a break um, and. Um, I'll just say like 
so I, again, I, I lead crisis management for the company. It's a huge privilege. Um, one of the most, you know, um, most uh, hardest and most rewarding things I've ever done in my career was to help a company of this size and scale, global impact, um, people, you know, literally all around the globe to navigate, you know, the, uh, a pandemic, which is not like, you know, directly aligned to cyber, but there was many points of crossover there um, that helped, especially around crisis management. And I think the thing there is just like set the, be able to set the tone, the tempo, um, and, and ensure that people have resources, you know, make full use of those resources and be deliberate, be, be you know, intentional about that. Talk about it. Um, talk about things um, that, you know, I think historically weren't things we talked about. Like, you know, let's talk about, um, like, let's take our, our, our health and well-being, including our mental health. These things are all part and parcel with what it means to be, you know, a practitioner and someone who works in this industry and even someone who leads in this industry as well. So I also think that, um, you know, it's, it's important to also, you know, show that it's okay to put your hand up and ask for support, ask for help, um, because we're we're a team, um, and as you can tell, I'm very team oriented, and that's it's a it's a way you can really support each other. And like nothing is more powerful than a highly effective team in my mind. Nothing is more impactful. That is built on trust. It's built on you know mutual respect. It's built on um, it's built on you know challenging each other to be better. And so. I think as a leader, you're in a position to see things that others can't see. So you need to use that, that elevated view to, to really monitor the organization, ensure that your managers and their managers and so on um, are, are, are recognizing that this is a, this is a marathon yeah. <laughs> and, and, not, and not a sprint. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. We have to be in it for the long haul and find a way to manage our energy in a sustainable, in a sustainable sort of way. Um, just as a follow-up to that, have you ever encountered a situation um, with an individual who you could tell they were not, they felt like they had to show up as the strong one and couldn't ask for help? Have you ever, have you ever encountered that where you've needed to kind of count, counsel or coach somebody to be able to come sure. forward and say, yeah. hey, what, what a great question. And it's a, it's a really relevant and pertinent question to our industry, I think, in particular. Um, and I think that, you know, many of us, um, I think many of us feel that like we need to show up a certain way at work. Like we kind of have like a work persona. I kind of like one of the best pieces of advice I got in my career was like, hey, it, it's okay to be you. First of all, everybody else is taken, but, but being <laughs> you and improving on the you is really how you'll be, you will learn to be an effective leader. And I was very fortunate to, to, to have like some deliberate focus on that. That really helped. And I've seen that in the organization. I've, I've seen it up and down the stack. There's no, um, it doesn't matter. It could be any part of a company. Uh, we're all humans. We all deal with stress in different ways. My role in that situation is a couple of things. One is to be a good listener, to basically replay what you're hearing. And let people know it's a safe place to talk and our managers need to do that as well. It's something we're delivered about. And it makes, I think it really helps. I think the other thing too, is just, you know, to um, ensure that these voices, you know, if there's something systemic happening in the, in the portfolio, like in the company or something, make sure you're elevated to the right people. Like we have great partners in our human resources. Like we have a fantastic chief people officer here um, and the team there underneath there is just incredible. And we, as you know, and we spend a lot of time thinking about the health and well-being of our people. So I think that's something else that's important is like, not just to be the direct connection, but also to enable others in your organization to have that same level of connection, but also go upstream and have the conversation. Um, I, and I remember uh, speaking with our CEO at the time about the beginning of the pandemic. And I was like, hey, we're gonna have two things happening here. We're going to have a pandemic. There are gonna be physical health risks that we're gonna have to like understand 
the same time, there's going to be like very uh, acute emotional and, 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 you know, intellectual and impact uh, on our people. And it's a crisis and people respond to We have to be ready for that as well. And I was so pleased to feel like to see the rallying around that concept and to see how the company ultimately responded to, to really effectively guide us through these, this transition. And it's been a long one. I'm all ready for it to be over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, welcome to that. Yeah, that's a big part. <laughs> We're ready for this to be over. But I have to say, as a newcomer, um, I'm one year in plus a, a few weeks at VMware, and I could feel the difference of how the company took that wellness and took that uh, employee well-being in the midst of a crisis so seriously. I mean, I, it was it was tangible. Yeah, very cool. Glad glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's talk uh, uh, along those same kinds of ideas. I mean, it's it's just kind of a reality right now that um, especially especially with a changing economic situation we're going to see some belt tightening and we're going to see some uh, we're going to see uh, a more scrutiny perhaps for resources. Mm -hmm. So out there where, you know, a chief security officer, we talk about strategy, you know, culture, each strategy for breakfast, but at the end of the day, we have to do some things about security. So what would, what kind of advice would you give to a chief security officer or CISO that is um, feeling the, the, the crush of this change and has a, a just an exploding threat landscape to deal with, sure. but they're not getting the resources they need. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, and it's so obviously so so germane to today's situation. I mean, like we're seeing, you know, we saw an act of war, um, uh, you know, emerge, um, you know, and um, you know, and saw so much amazing support for U Ukraine. Um, and and we, we saw what we saw what happened. We saw the cyber part of it um, in country in particular. It's sort of, you know, things we don't want to see, but we know could happen. Now we trying to see them happen. And I think there's other things happening on that front. So that's sort of elevating some of the temperature around the threat. But at the same time, we have macroeconomic situations, you know, macroeconomic environment, which is sort of depressing in some ways, potentially, um, you know, some of the like the, the parts of the economy. And so there, there's an economic issue going on here. And I think it's one of those things in that around security that's not totally well understood is that the economics of security are are very interesting, I, and I don't believe that they're super understood. Maybe time for another a topic for another conversation. But, mm -hmm. uh, um, but I, I guess the thing I'm saying is like we're seeing these two countervailing forces. We're seeing um, escalation to your point of of like the threat, and we're seeing maybe some depression of the resources. And those two things are in conflict. So I think what's really important to really recognize that you just first of all you can't do it alone. You need a team around you. That team is 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 like includes sweeping your key stakeholders into that. To that thinking, yeah. you know, I think education for your C-suite and for your board is really critical right now. Unfortunately, we have you know, we have like uh, JCD, or we have JCDC and CISA and Jen and Director Easterly and and her team there, you know, working to ensure that like that that the threat is recognized at that level, which mm -hmm. is very helpful because it does it does and that's a good thing. It elevates the dialogue. Yeah. Uh, in, in the risk decision, the risk for a company, a public company is like literally, you know, sits on the shoulders of the CEO. Your job is to help the CEO, educate them and help them understand that there's a balance that you need to strike here. Um, and risk, taking risks is part of business, obviously. But the inherent risk, it feels, especially in the technology world, is, is, is rising. And I think that we've had a residual risk target for those for, for risk geeks out there. You know right where I'm going here. 
um, that's been that's been held um, like it's pretty high. So we kind of had like a high, high situation across the industry, across tech platforms globally. I feel like the balance there probably needs to be high and a little bit lower. <laughs> so part of that, part of that, to your point, like what could you do? I think engaging in that dialogue, uh, ensuring that you know, you're not going it alone. Your your partners, your CIO, your CTO, your platform leads, you know, SRA teams, all all those teams um, are are actually part of your extended team in security because you just you know security is, you just can't do it in isolation. It happens most of work and impact actually happens to others in security. Um, so you have to be that focal point uh, and work hard you know, to be that for the organization in a trusted way. And to your point earlier, if you come at it and it's like the sky's falling, you know, and it's all doom and gloom and there's no path forward, like that's not effective. You need to help create a path forward and help that decision-making process, but absolutely be there and connect with leadership so they understand that as well and can make good risk decisions. Yeah, that's such a challenging, it's, it really is probably one of the more challenging roles uh, and interesting roles that we can have as a leader is having to have that balance and then taking advantage of all of the, I'll just call it soft skills now that are coming to the forefront about how do you do this? How do you get so much done by enrolling the broader extended team of people, not just the ones who report to you, but all the people you have to influence in order sure. to get something done. Yeah, it's uh, it, 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 it keeps the job. So uh, uh, it's challenging, but it's all, but it, no, but you know, if you sit down and you can actually step away from um, the tension of all of it and, mm -hmm. and take a moment to sort of like say, all right, what would it take to be, this is what my success looks like. What do I have to do to get there and plan that? And who needs to be involved in all of those pieces start to, I don't know. That's kind of how I have to. Yeah, break I, think, I think you, I think you've nailed it there. I really do. I think that's, that, that is really just, I mean, honestly, it's in some ways it's no different than other parts of the business, right? You're just, you're a business leader. Um, in yep. security, you, or, or if you're not, you, you, you might need to <laughs> work towards that because you've got, you got to speak in terms of the business language so that you can uh, you can affect change. Yeah, yeah. Along those same lines, so this is a personal question. Um, how do you stay focused and in the game for the long haul? What do you do personally? <laughs> what's your personal, what's your favorite self-care practice? Oh, wow. Um, great question. Uh, I, I do... I, I love to read. I love my early mornings. <laughs> I like to sit and, and uh, read things. And I don't always just read, you know, um, uh, uh, security magazines. Uh, in fact, very rarely will I do that. I prefer to have conversations with others about that. But but look, um, I ride my bike. I try to exercise. Um, I play guitar. Um, I have a rescue dog, which whom I adore. Um, <laughs> uh, and and I, I feel like, you know, those things um, where you can, I, I do very purposely try to disconnect from like the phone, the watch, all those things for, you know, for a decent amount of time when I can, that's hard in these jobs because it's kind of an always on job many times, but, but it's important to do that. Um, so that's sort of like where I go. Um, and I'll just add one thing. If you're not able to disconnect as a leader, then you really haven't created the leadership bench behind you that needs to be there. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, I am guilty of often staying too connected. I'm working on it. It's a work in progress. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, and we all have to find that space where we, um, you know, can kind of set aside the time that says this is the this is the sacred time. We're just kind of not going to 
and unless unless the sky is truly falling, we're not going to mess with this. My guilty confession is that I I keep my phone by my bed, and so it, what used to be my BlackBerry, then it was my phone. But it was like <laughs> that that was the first thing I was like, what do I have to know about today? <laughs> and and I've had to break that habit. It, it is a, it is a rough habit to break. I <laughs> I will freely admit that. So you're I I'm certain you are in very very good company. I'm sure. I know there's probably a lot of people out there doing the same thing. Um, we're all trying to figure out the path. I think it's a good thing to talk about because there's this sense of saying, I feel like I need it, but I, am I the only one? No, we all need it. And let's make yeah, sure. Absolutely. We absolutely. So thanks for sharing that with us. Um, I think we have a question too, that's come in from uh, the, the live stream and it's on insider threats. So, um, so question for you and I, uh, for both of us, I guess, is what do we what do we recommend and what do we do to it stop insider threats? Uh, well, I'll start um, and feel free to jump in, please. Is uh, I'll say that part of that can depend on like the industry you're in and the type of company you're in. Um, obviously, you know, um, like highly regulated industries have like usually have inherently they have. Uh, by definition, tighter controls on certain things. Companies that develop software have different levels of controls and put those controls in place in different ways. And so I think it's part of, part of that's, you know, just sort of understanding like where the insider threat is happening. The most important thing you have from an insider threat perspective is your culture. And I'm super happy to be, to state that. Like, I feel that is the thing that you can build that will protect you probably more than anything. Because when an entire company, for the large part, is aligned to a common purpose, to a mission, you know, the culture wraps around that and people's behaviors wrap around that. And a lot of the sort of self-regulation comes into play, you know, like, um, I think that's important. So that's, I know it's like a, almost a too high a level answer. And I, you know, and there's lots of concrete things you could do, but I feel like it's probably, you know, as a as, as a leader, it's one thing I think you need to think about. First of all, I, I reiterate and plus one, what you said that I've, I've always kind of claimed that malfeasance is very difficult to detect. If you have people in a position of trust, of course, um, fraud and abuse and things like that, we can have a certain set of controls. But if they're if they're in a position of trust, um, then exactly. you know that it's kind of yeah they have an inside edge, and so that's really tough. That's really tough to protect against detecting those kinds of things. That's part of our technical stack. But yeah, if it's a if it's a position of trust. Um, those those get really hard, and there isn't a really. I, I like what you said. Actually, it is there isn't a way for us to instrument it so that we can catch everything. But if we have an entire company of people who are see something, say something, and they know who to call, then I think you can go a long way with that. Last question I have for us today: You know, as you've been involved in strategic planning and all of the technology, you've done so many things with technology evaluation, business value, and security. Any thoughts you'd like to share about um, how we manage that tension? On this, we're on the security side, on the risk management side. How do we help balance that tension between risk taking and security? I mean, that is, I mean, that is ultimately like the question in our industry, right? Yeah, like, yeah, uh, I know. Will, I realize it's a big question. Yeah. yeah, we will all land on that. And I think just, you know, I, th I think we've spoken about a lot of that in the conversation here, which I've enjoyed yeah. so much. Thank you. I, I just say like, 
maybe we can just land on, it's not something you could do alone. You know, it requires that you inform people who are actually the risk takers uh, and who are, in, in, who are um, entitled to take the risks for the company and not all people can take all the risks. Um, at the same time, there are systemic things that show up as risks, which affect like your whole portfolio. So you, you know, having those controls in place is, is helpful. Understanding, like you know, understanding um, you know, your architecture and detail obviously is really helpful. So you kind of know where your where your puts and takes are going to be. Um, and and I just say like like early at VMware, one of the one, and I'll leave with this little story. But at, at VMware early, we created a platform around like we knew we had to change some key engineering experiences at the company, uh, like in IT, right? And so um, we didn't want to be that IT team that just put up all the roadblocks. Because what happens then is people just go around the roadblocks. So, <laughs> so the, the tension there was like, how do you balance? It's like kind of switched gears a little bit. It was like, hey, the thesis is that if we create better security experiences, we'll get better security. And we put that into play. And I'm super proud of our of our, of our our colleague experience technology teams, our security teams, our IT teams, to see like all these organizations came together and rallied um, around this concept of just like being in service to the folks who are creating our intellectual property, who are building our products and doing it in a way where like we were like way more compatible. <laughs> we were way more aligned. We found key, like we talked earlier, we, count, we found that cultural flag carries in those organizations and we got alignment. I think you could do that for the overall balance for the organization. Um, in terms of like making decisions, it's, I think you need to surface information. More, data is really important here uh, where you can get it, but you also have to be uncomfortable and build, you know, build sort of confidence intervals like on uncertainty as well. And that's better to do in practice before you have to make the decision in reality. So yeah. I could go on for days on this particular topic, but there's, 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 there's many things you do there, but ultimately it's about, I think, surfacing the right information to the right stakeholders. Yeah. Again, it's all about, it's the culture, right? It's how we make it, the culture happen. And it's all about, we're all in it together with managing the risk and finding the balance that works for the business. I love that. Thank you. Of course. So Alex, you've, you've been super generous with your time today. I appreciate it so much. Thanks for the incredible conversation. Um, before we go, there are two upcoming events I want to make sure everybody's aware of. Um, so that you can, um, we are going to be connecting with our InfoSec community and looking forward to seeing a lot of you. We'll be at Black Hat in Vegas on August 10th and 11th, and uh, we'll be in booth 1620 if you stop by. So come by to hear from our security experts, learn more about VMware Contexa, our full fidelity threat intelligence cloud that we will that we introduced, I think, uh, yeah, we introduced at RSA. Mm -hmm. So, and we'll also be at Moscone Center again, this time for VMware Explore, um, be in San Francisco, August 30th through September 1st. Uh, we have um, over 100 security-focused talks planned, uh, very focused on practitioners. So please register for that if you haven't already. That's all we have for this episode of Ask the Howlers. Thanks for joining us today. You can watch the video live stream of this conversation on the VMware Carbon Block LinkedIn and YouTube channels. We look forward to seeing you next time.